0: amen. Well, thank you for being here Uh, this morning. Before I uh, dismiss the kids to go upstairs, I want to talk a little bit about something that happened last week. Big week this week with VBS. Um, Actually, so much going on between last week and this week. This week, we know we have Vacation Bible School, so kids, make sure you're here before 6 o'clock tonight to uh, get checked in and everything for that. Um, We're actually also sending our Romania team away this week. They leave on Thursday. But I want to tell you a little bit about what happened last week, and we've got a couple pictures for you of our middle school camp last week. There were 31 of us, and um, you can kind of just see the group. Um, AJ and Carson did a great job leading this group. Um, Jess and I got to go as chaperones as well um, as uh, Ryan Griffin and Amelia Young, one of our high school students, to chaperone these 25 middle school kids. We had a great time, and I wanted the kids to be in here because some of the kids got to go. Our rising fifth graders are kind of doing the best of both worlds this summer, our rising sixth graders. So they're in VBS this week, but they were at middle school camp. It was a colorful, um, exciting week uh, together. So thank you for your prayers for that group. They learned about what it meant uh, to be clothed in Christ and what it meant to find their identity in Christ. And so if you see Any of those middle school students, ask them about it. They had a great time. It's a great group of kids. A real strength of our church is to see these these younger generations rise up and grow in the knowledge of Christ and obedience to Christ. So, kids, y'all can now be dismissed to your time of kids' worship, and we will see you tonight for Vacation Bible School. Um, Parents, adults, really anyone, if you want to just come tonight, and see what the twists and turns are all about, see a little bit of a different side of some of uh, your pastors, um, join us this evening. It'll be a lot of fun as we um, engage in this together and uh, encourage our kids that uh, life is full of twists and turns, but Jesus is the one that leads us through it. Um, If you are helping with VBS, get your shirts in the Backstage Cafe after the service. Um, Everyone that is volunteering in VBS should have a a shirt behind me here in the Backstage Cafe, so please go get those after the service today. Um, But again, if you want to just come and check it out tonight, come at 6 o'clock, watch the opening um, ceremony, and just kind of get a flavor of of what this week is about and how you can be praying for our kids and the leaders. Um, Also because I may forget to say this at the end of the service, we need some of you to stick around. We need to stack the chairs and move them to the walls, okay? For tonight, we're having VBS in here. The kids are going to be sitting on the floor and and bouncing and doing dances and all that, so we need the chairs out of the way. So if a few of you will stay, as many as possible, will stay and help us stack those at the end of the service tonight. It will go very quickly. Um, Then lastly, uh, we had a great... Uh, Men's ministry breakfast Um, yesterday. We have a women's ministry ice cream social event on July 11th. You can sign up for that. I would really encourage you to sign up in the church app. Um, And we have, uh, and you can can see that on there, July 11th, 630 to 830. Or you can email Kate at fellowshipdalton.com to sign up. And we've got some more men's and women's ministry stuff coming this summer. Lots of youth ministry things. Um, Summer is busy. And if you're looking for a place to get involved... Um, there's opportunities over the summer. Don't just think that, well, it's summer. Everybody's schedules are weird, so we'll just kind of take the summer off. That's not, that's not what happens. Things get, things get a little crazy. And so um, I want to remind you of our Sunday school hour. We have some groups that are up and going, 9.15 um, every Sunday morning. Our Young Families class is awesome. Um, we'd love for you to join us um, in the Young Families class or the Elder Led Prayer Time or any of the small groups that have been meeting during that time. Uh, turn with me now. Let's just pick a chapter. Let's uh, start with uh, Proverbs chapter 21. Because here's what we're doing we're jumping again. Um, last week, if you were here with us, you noticed, and I told you that we're changing our strategy in going through Proverbs. The first nine chapters we went through sequentially, that's our normal approach to preaching and teaching the scriptures. But now, in the last two thirds of Proverbs, We're going to go topically. We're going to look at the themes that Proverbs brings out, and we're going to look at various different themes, new theme every week. So last week, we together looked at the power of our words, the danger of our words, but also the life-giving power of our words. And so I'd encourage you to go back to the video or the audio for next week and see all that Proverbs has to say to us about how you use your words Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's what Proverbs tells us. We need to know that. We need to understand how to live like that. Um, This week we're looking at uh, one of the most well-known concepts in all of Proverbs, pride. You've heard it said before that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. That's one of the most famous Proverbs, and we'll talk about that one today. But there's a lot of different concepts that come out from the book of Proverbs relating to the danger of pride and the importance of humility. C.S. Lewis said it like this, according to Christian teaching, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that, they're mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride, in fact, leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. You hear that and you think, well, pride, yeah, that's a problem. Those prideful people, those people that think they're better than they are, those people that are elitists and you think, if you look at the world today, you're going to diagnose the problem as pride from any number of groups. And you're going to say, well, the, the elitists, the coastal elites, they're the ones that really have this pride problem that's destroying society. Or it's the celebrities, they have a problem with pride. The, the athletes, the, the influencers, they're so prideful. Look at social media and look at this influencer culture that has developed. It is those people that that gain success off of self-promotion, they're always wanting people to look at them. That is where pride is decaying. But the problem of pride is far more complex than that. We can all look at certain people and certain categories of people and say, yes, pride is a problem for them. But we misdiagnose the problem of pride when we always look at them. We always look at those people as having the problem with pride Um, David Brooks in writing for the New York Times um, called Humility the New Pride. This is what he said. He saw a tweet from the president of European Central Bank, and this is what the tweet said. I was humbled to be awarded an honorary degree by the London School of Economics earlier this week. Thank you so much for this prestigious honor. Now, if you see there, the tweet uses the, the phrase, I was humbled. But the rest of the tweet is a brag. Look at me. See the honor that I received. See how important I am. Look at what I have accomplished. And so Brooks then said there's three rules to fake humility. Number one, never tweet about any event that could actually lead to humility. Never tweet, I was humbled that I went to a party and nobody noticed me. I was humbled that I began a new work project and failed miserably. Never tweet, I got fired because of my incompetence, and I'm humbled. That's not how you use the word humbled in self-promotion. Rather, use the word humbled, this is rule number two, use the word humbled when the word proud would be more accurate. For example, truly humbled to be the keynote speaker for TEDx East Hampton. Truly humbled to receive this new promotion at at my workplace. The key to humility display is to use self-effacement as a tool to maximize self-promotion. That's the subtlety of the new brand of humility, the new brand of publicly saying, I was humbled. You're actually using self-effacement to self-promote. Look at me. Look at how humble I am. Look at how gracious I am. Number three, He says, actually never use a pronoun in your self-promotion. Start your tweets with humbled to be or honored to be. This sends the message you only have a few seconds to write a quick message about how humble you are. Because if you actually say, I was humbled, I am honored, then you seem less important because you took the time to write a complete sentence. And you can look at these and say, well, this this is nonsense, but look at social media. Look at our online cultivated lives and see this is what happens. People used to dance around this idea of humble bragging, of portraying public humility while actually wanting everyone to notice how really great and how awesome they are. But now, our humility, our so-called humility, Brooks says, is so explicit, assertive, direct, and unafraid, unafraid. We blaze forth so much humility that it's practically blinding. Humility has become the new pride. Maybe that does or doesn't connect with you as you look at the world of social media, but it really spoke to me as I see this reality. I see that everyone knows that pride goes before the fall. That's a a very well-quoted concept outside of Christianity. People say, yeah, pride is bad. Everybody wants to say that humility is good. Being humbled is good, but this fake humility, this self-promoting humility of thinking of yourself and wanting others to see how great you are is actually pride. And let me tell you something else. The opposite of pride is humility, which is not actually thinking less of yourself. We think, we, we make this false dichotomy that we say you're either prideful or you have low self-esteem. But really, many that have low self-esteem are actually prideful. Because here's the problem. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Pride can come in multiple different forms. Pride is simply self-focus, whereas humility is self-forgetfulness. Pride focuses on the self, whether you believe you're good at things or bad at things, when you are inwardly focused, self-focused, it's me against the world, and I'm focused on my attributes, my qualities, what I have, what I don't have, my desires, my needs, whatever. That is the sin of pride, of inward gazing, self-focus, not looking at the reality of the world around you, not looking unto the needs of others, but looking towards yourself. That is what Proverbs treats as the sin of pride. Pride. Humility says, I'm not self-focused. I'm not dwelling on everything going on inside myself. Humility is, I'm thinking of myself less. I'm forgetting my own desires for the sake of others. Even many Christians are sucked into this subtle problem. And we can see it all over society. That even those of us that may struggle with our self-esteem, may struggle with what we think of ourselves, are still dealing with that brokenness, that sickness of being so self-focused, it is debilitating. Both for the person that is too sure of themselves and the person that is completely unsure of himself or herself. That self-focus can be debilitating. And so today, as we look at this this balance between pride and humility, and how we seek after humility and what wisdom tells us about humility, what Christ presents to us about humility, we're going to look at it in three simple steps. The problem, the principle, and the promise. We said um, a while ago, months ago, that the book of Proverbs isn't about promises. That typically, the book of Proverbs is about principles and probabilities. That when Proverbs says, if-then, an if-then statement that says, if you do this, if you live like this, then this will happen, typically, those are not promises, but rather statements of probability. They're principles that tell you how to live life li- wisely. For instance, if you work, then you will prosper. is not a, an all-out promise where we look at God and we say, we worked hard and we didn't get what we thought we would get. We weren't as successful in our career as we thought we would be. It was never meant to be a promise to you. It was meant to be a principle. This is a wise way to live. Work hard, and in a regular sense, in a probability sense, you will more likely gain success in the work of your hands than if you were lazy. That's the approach of Proverbs. Probability and not promises. But today, where we're going, we'll see that there is a problem of pride. We'll see there is a principle on the benefits of humility and the probabilities that result from that but then there is a promise that we look at today because there's a couple of these proverbs that go beyond the realm of probabilities and give us full-out gospel promises for those of us that reject the sin of pride, that think of ourselves less for the sake of honoring Christ more. So the the first step we'll take is the problem. The problem is the sin of pride, and pride leads us to decay, Disgrace, destruction, and death. We'll take those one at a time. Proverbs 21.4. Pride leads to decay. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. If you look at that verse, that proverb, you can see clearly that haughty eyes, proud heart, two ways of saying the same thing, are sin. But look at that phrase, the lamp of the wicked. Think about the contrast that that we're receiving here from the wise writings of proverbs that the lamp of the wicked is a proud heart but what are we as, what do we as christians know about lamps and light and what we're supposed to represent see the problem with pride in this passage is it gets inside not just your eyes but inside your heart and it burns within your heart as a lamp for the wicked and so it is decaying your heart. And in the place where a proud heart is, there should be a heart filled with the light of Christ. That's the distinction here. The distinction that we look at this with gospel eyes and we think through what the original writer meant as this is what pride looks like. If pride looks like the flame, the fuel at your heart is is a sin. But you you put on the gospel eyes and you see what the Holy Spirit knew that the original author didn't know is that the the key illustration that Jesus would use for, for coming into our hearts and representing him to the lost world would be that same picture of light. So whereas the wicked heart is filled with the light of pride, the redeemed heart is filled with the light of Christ. So we have a decaying heart full of pride leading to sin and rejecting God what cs lewis said earlier that i quoted the complete anti-god state of mind is what pride is but it's not just decay it gets worse so you have this sick decaying heart and then it comes to public disgrace proverbs 11:2 when pride comes then comes disgrace but with the humble is wisdom proverbs 29:23 it says, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So Proverbs eleven two: 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. We think that if we self-promote, that if we toot our own horn, that if we present ourselves in strength, in ingenuity, in intelligence, that other people will look at us and think about how great we are. But let's think about this for a second. How many of you, how many of you have seen that, that video, seen that person, seen that public presentation where you were so sickened by the person that was presenting, Because you heard that person, you saw that person, and you said, I can't even listen to this person. They are so filled with pride. Every single one of us has seen that. Maybe it's the, the influencer video. Maybe it's the, the, the YouTube channel, it's the Instagram video. Maybe it's the public speaking engagement, it's the person sitting on a stage, it's the person, a, a musician at a concert. Maybe it's a sporting event where you see somebody on the field and you just think if his pride, if he would just get out of his own way, he could be successful. But it's pride. It's killing him. So many people we're surrounded by every day and we see it from young to old. You could see the same thing. You use that sports analogy. You could see the same thing with a professional athlete that you see with an eight-year-old athlete. And you think, that kid, somebody has told him he is so good and he is hurting himself. He's hurting his team. He's hurting his performance. And you look at it and you just kind of feel sick inside. That's the disgrace. That's Proverbs eleven two, When pride comes, then comes disgrace you look at someone that thinks more highly of themselves than they should, and you just get sick inside, and it just sort of hurts, and it's painful, and you're thinking, man, if that person could actually see what they really look like from the outside, they would be embarrassed. That's where pride leads us. Pride also leads to destruction. This is the one we know, Proverbs 16, 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Similarly, Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. How many times have we heard this story of somebody who in such pride, such hubris, such self-confidence went into a situation thinking that they were bulletproof? thinking they were Superman, thinking that they would have success no matter what. Because up to that point, they had been so successful. And they take that one step of pride that just leads to complete destruction, that leads to just completely falling flat on their face. We've seen it with so many that have fallen. And what would be really easy is to pick on the the lost people that have fallen be really easy to look at celebrities, to look at billionaires, to look at famous people. But the same thing happens, Proverbs 16, 18, is so true of many successful Christians too. And this is where it's actually really beneficial for us to be honest about that. And to say that we have seen many notable, successful, influential Christian leaders that have experienced Proverbs 16:18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That's why Paul would write to the church in Corinth and say, anyone who thinks that he sins, take heed lest he fall. Because any of us in Christ can develop the haughty spirit, can develop the pride that leads to a fall, that leads to destruction. And so don't, don't think that as we talk about pride and humility... Don't do this us versus them thing. We Christians, we're the humble ones. They, non-believers, they're they're the prideful ones. No, we have to to search in our own hearts too and see where this self-focus, this addiction to self, to our desires, our wants, our feelings, that addiction can lead us to fall away too, can lead us to destruction when we think We've got it all figured out. We're insulated from failure. Ultimately, it leads beyond destruction and to death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Proverbs fourteen twelve is a proverb that everyone should know. And here's what it tells you it tells you the same thing Romans three twenty three tells you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Proverbs fourteen twelve tells you that there is something true about mankind, not just men, but women as well, that the way we are wired is broken right now. That God actually did create us in his image. God created us for relationship with him. God created us as worshipers to respond and worship and praise to something and in his image. Before the fall, we were created to worship God, to proclaim him to focus on Him. And then, the snake shows up. And the snake convinces Adam and Eve that they need to take their eyes off of God and put their eyes on themselves. And think about what God is withholding from them. Think about how much greater you could be. How much wiser you could be. How much longer you could live how much more pure you could be if only you would take your eyes off of the Creator and put your eyes onto yourself, your wants, your desires. And that was the first sin. And then, every sin since then has developed out of that same root system. That root system of pride. That's why C.S. Lewis calls it the complete anti-God state of mind. Because men and women, mankind, left to ourselves... That's the direction we go. Self-protection, self-promotion, self-focus. Protect me and mine. That's what I want to do. I'm not concerned about anyone else. I want to protect me and mine. I want what I want. And we can polish it. Nobody's going to admit that, that really clearly. But we can polish it up and we can say, well, you know, I just want to be focused on my family first and I want to protect my family but so many of those things that sound really good on the outside are really just self-focus. I'm not concerned about the lost. I'm not concerned about the poor. I'm not concerned about the hurting. I'm concerned about me and mine. Self-focus as a way of life leads us to death. But to a fallen sinful mind, it seems right. That's what Proverbs 14, 12 tells us. There's a way that seems right to man, and we can't trust it. There's a way that makes sense to humanity and we don't need to follow it. It's only through Christ that we can be redeemed and see the truth of the death that comes through self-focus, through self-addiction. Pride is needing to not just be successful, but needing to be more successful than somebody else, right? For pride, success is never enough. If there's somebody else, that's just a little bit better. Pride is needing to one-up somebody else. Proud people are never fulfilled unless they can continue to push down others that are less successful, less intelligent, less athletic, less beautiful, less whatever. That's what proud does. That's what pride does. It focuses on self to the detriment of others. And so now... That's the problem. That makes sense now. And hopefully we've established the problem is not just out there, but it's in here. So what is the principle? What hope does Proverbs give us? Here's the principle in simplicity. Fear of the Lord generates humility and results in blessing. That's the principle that we see all throughout the book of Proverbs in speaking of the difference between pride and humility. The core of it Is God. That's what sets proud people and humble people apart. It's not not just that some people make better decisions than others. It's how you view God changes whether you are are a prideful, self focused person or a humble, God focused person. Because here's the thing if humility is not thinking of yourself, uh, thinking less of yourself, but is thinking of yourself less, then if you're going to think of yourself less, what are you going to think about? And the world doesn't really have a good answer. Outside of Jesus, there's not a good answer to that. You can think of all these different temporary causes, all these different pleasures and pursuits, but all those come back to making me feel better about me, continuing to feed the pride and self-focus in me. The only way to really take my focus off of me and what I want is to put it on someone, something else. God's the only one that ultimately can, can fill our gaze at that level, that ultimately can fascinate us, captivate us, capture our attention with his holiness, his love, his justice, his power, God is the only one that can fill that void of where we want to look and set our gaze. God is the answer to self-focus. Let's look at a couple of verses that say that. Um, Humility is based in the fear of the Lord. Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So you either, either fear the Lord, here's the distinction, you fear the Lord, or you have a hard heart. That's the distinction. Your heart is warm towards God or hard towards God. There's not a medium. It's either God enlivens you, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, brings new life, or you're hardened and you're broken. So humility is based in the fear of the Lord. Humility is equated with not a high spirit, but a low spirit. This is a significant point. Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. What does it mean to be lowly in spirit? See, again, we misdefine humility sometimes. And we think low in spirit equals low self-esteem, and that's a problem. But actually, actually, Low in spirit is exactly what we're striving for. So says Proverbs 29, 23. And you know who else says that? Jesus. There's an insight I've quoted a few times. As far as I know, I think Spurgeon was the first to notice this. Charles Spurgeon, um, when he noted that out of the four biographies of Jesus, there's lots of stuff said about Jesus. Hundreds of verses about Jesus. Hundreds of verses where Jesus is teaching Describing himself, describing his kingdom more than anything. That's what Jesus likes to talk about. Jesus likes to talk about his kingdom. And he likes to talk about the difference between his kingdom and the kingdom of the world. Jesus likes to talk about how we follow him. He calls people to follow him. Jesus tells lots of stories, lots of parables. And one time, one time, Jesus describes himself at a heart level, at an emotional level, when he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. For my burden is easy, my yoke is light. And I am gentle and lowly in heart. See, the world says don't be lowly in spirit. The world says, no, the answer to the world's problems is more self-confidence. We need a boost of self-confidence so that we can be more successful, more influential in life. And Jesus says, no, 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 in my kingdom it works different. It's not you building yourself up by projecting self-confidence. It's you following me down into the lowliness, into humility. Proverbs says, be lowly in spirit and you will obtain honor. Jesus says, I am lowly in heart, follow me in that path. And the word of God is consistent because Jesus reveals the wisdom of Proverbs. In a way that the original author authors of Proverbs didn't fully understand when they were writing it. God was using them by his spirit to point towards something beyond themselves, wisdom that they could not fully capture and understand themselves. So anytime we open this book of Proverbs, we see here's the wisdom as they understood it then, but also here's the wisdom that points to Jesus, points beyond the wisdom that was available to them because Jesus is fulfilling this biblical picture of wisdom in an exceptional way. And so while one's pride brings him low, he who is lowly in spirit, rather, he who lowers himself in spirit, will obtain honor. How do you get lowly in spirit? Fear of the Lord. You focus on God and you think of yourself less. You focus on God in his grandeur, in his glory. You understand the depth of your sin and you will be brought to a lower place in spirit. And that's exactly where Jesus wants to meet you because Jesus came to redeem the lowly in spirit. Jesus came in gentleness for those that didn't think more highly of themselves than they ought, but in humility became dependent on him. So third thing that we look at today, humility depends on God's words. Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So that's the other problem with the pride. The pride The proud person thinks of himself more highly than he should. The proud person isn't a good listener, doesn't even listen to God's words. And so the humble person turns his ear on, reveres the commandment, specifically the commandments that come from God. The proud person doesn't need to hear from God. The proud person has their own life figured out. The proud person has sought out outside wisdom, other wisdom, to find the solutions to the problems in their life. The humble person, he reveres the commandments of God and therefore he will be rewarded. Number four, just general listening. Proverbs 15, 31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. So in, in number three, what we had there in verse uh, 13, 13, is that the proud person doesn't listen to God's words and the humble person reveres God's words. Fifteen thirty one is a little different. The proud person doesn't listen to reproof at all. Don't correct the proud person don't challenge the proud person. Don't you dare tell a proud person that they're doing something wrong. That's how pride is revealed. You tell someone they're doing something wrong and they don't see it and they shut you down. You recognize this person is too self-focused. This person doesn't have the, have the wisdom to be able to receive reproof, to receive correction. And so those that have ears to listen and say, I may have actually done something wrong, that's the person described as wise. And finally, the end result. Proverbs 22, 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Anytime we talk about fear, we have to understand it biblically. We have to understand what is the Scripture trying to communicate to us with this concept of fear of the Lord. Because basically, my main point for today is you should fear the Lord. And you should fear the Lord so that you come to a point of humility. And then once you fear the Lord and come to a point of humility, you will be raised up by him to a point of glory. And so what does fear mean? Does it mean I cower before the presence of God the way Adam and Eve did in the garden when they recognized their sin? No. That's not how a Christian responds to God. In fact, Romans 8 would say, That God has given us not a spirit of slavery that falls into fear, but a spirit of sonship that leads us to the comfort to call out, Abba, Father, to call out to God as our Father, to revere Him in such a way that we are longing for His presence. And so fear does mean respect, it does mean awe, it does mean uh, trembling. It does mean a little bit of a healthy sense of God can and does punish sinners. But in Christ, that's not you anymore. You're a saved saint that sins. And sometimes we, we need to do a little bit of a better job of recovering this idea of sainthood. So many traditions of the church have have blown apart sainthood, ruined the concept for all of us, because they think a saint is somebody that was a super-Christian. Biblically, a saint is somebody that is set apart by Jesus for Jesus. That anyone who receives Jesus is labeled in Scripture, in the New Testament, as a saint, as a holy one, set apart for Jesus. And how do you know that you're set apart for Jesus? You believe in him, you confess your sins, and you receive new life. That's it. That's the path toward sainthood. You don't need to form this council after you die to determine whether or not you are a saint, as some traditions would do it. That's not the New Testament definition of sainthood. But see, if you see yourself as a saint, loved by God, adopted into his family, a child, made righteous and made holy, then you can recognize that you can fear the Lord, fear the Lord and recognize he is a God of justice who punishes the sin of sinners but I'm now a saint who sins and not a sinner that is on my way to condemnation before God. I am a saint who sometimes falls short, who sometimes veers off the road of wisdom and following Jesus and goes back to that road of foolishness I used to walk regularly on. But if I'm a saint, I don't approach the fear of the Lord with this, oh, God's going to get me. But I approach the fear of the Lord with, God's going to punish them. God's going to punish the unrighteous. I'm so grateful that I have been made righteous. And I still live in awe of the love that made me righteous. But I live in a healthy fear of what's going to happen to them if the message of the kingdom is not proclaimed to them. But see, what I just said there, I had to take the focus off of myself. Fear of the Lord isn't self-focused fear of the Lord is focused on Him, focused on how I relate to Him, and focused on how they relate to Him. Fear of the Lord takes the focus off of myself. And when we are so self-focused and we hear that we're supposed to fear the Lord, then what we end up doing is we cower and we fear that God's going to get us. But that's not how the fear of the Lord is presented. It is that the Spirit of God has come to us not to lead us into slavery and fear, but to lead us into sonship where we can call out, Abba, Father. So there's a problem, there's a principle. There's also a promise. And the promise is 28.13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. How do you know when Proverbs move from a probability to a promise? You need the New Testament interpretation of the Old Testament to unlock that key. And here's where we can learn from studying the narrative of the whole scriptures that there's lots of probabilities that are true in Proverbs. But this one, Jesus reinforced this idea. The New Testament authors reinforced this idea. And they presented it not as this will probably happen, but this will definitely happen. Mercy for those who confess and death and destruction for those who don't. Whoever conceals his transgressions, transgressions is a fancy long word for sin, whoever conceals his sin will not prosper. Now, he might for a bit and for a bit could be like 80, 90 years. The person that conceals his sins could do a whole lot of prospering in our viewpoint, in our, from our vantage point in this life. That's what we have to understand. We have to understand that when God looks at us and looks at the timeline of our lives, he sees us in all of our actions day to day. He sees every day clearly. He also sees us in the context of eternity. And so when scriptures come and say to, to us, Things like those that conceal their sins will not prosper. It doesn't seem true when we see somebody that is clearly a sinner, clearly hiding their sin, clearly mocking God that has human, worldly success for an entire lifetime. That happens. It will happen. But that's not prospering. That's how we have to change the way we look at life. That's how we have to think with a worldview that is built on eternity. But that's not prospering. Millions of dollars, millions of followers, all this influence, all these possessions, all these worldly pleasures, that is not prosperity. Prosperity is the mercy that lasts for eternity, that comes from confessing our sins and forsaking our sins. Only those that think they are not important will find eternal significance in the kingdom of God. Only those who recognize their lowly estate will be gathered around the throne room of God, doing the most important thing in human history being in the presence of God and proclaiming God. Those that think they are so important, that think they're above the rules, that think they can get whatever they want and manipulate whatever, those people will suffer. They will not have eternal importance. So the cure here is not thinking of self more highly but thinking of Christ more, confessing our sins and our failures, forsaking them for the sake of mercy. Now, as we think of ourselves, we think of this battle between pride and and low self-esteem and and humility and all those different concepts that we've looked at. There's one more I need to throw in there. When I talked about the garden and Adam and Eve and this sort of misunderstanding of fear of the Lord that leads us to cower What Adam and Eve experienced in the garden, there's a word for that, it's shame. And shame is something that is a little bit different, a little bit more complex, and we have to understand that in the context of this journey of pride on one side and humility on the other side. Because there are many, and I think there's many Christians, there's many redeemed Christians that are still battling in that place of shame. They don't know what to do about their sin, they don't know what to do about how they feel, it was interesting. It was fun to get to experience the middle school camp this week. He said some really powerful things at a middle school level. And the thing that he said about shame I really connected with. He said, guilt is when you realize that you did something bad. Shame is when you think you are something bad. Totally different. Guilt leads us to confession, redemption, finding mercy. I did something bad, I experience guilt, I confess it, and I can receive redemption. Shame ends up a little bit more complex. I see myself as bad. I see myself as dirty. I see myself as broken. And many that are dealing with shame in our day are wondering why God would love them, why God would want them, why God would give them mercy because of how broken, how ugly, how disappointing they are. The answer to shame is not thinking more highly of yourself. The answer to shame is not looking at someone and say, well, actually, you're not as bad as you think you are. Actually, you're pretty great. Look at all these great things about you. That is a temporary fix. It's a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. The only answer to shame is to get them to take their focus off of themselves and look at the gentle and lowly Jesus that meets them in their shame, that meets them in their disgrace, that meets them in their pain, and say, no, you can find mercy from Him. I'm not gonna argue with you about what is broken and not broken in your life. I'm not gonna argue with you about how ugly you are or how smart you are or how athletic you are, all those things that you're ashamed of. Let's not, we don't have to argue about all that. We just need to find Jesus. Because the lowest of sinners, the most shameful of sinners, that's who Jesus meets in his gentleness, in his lowliness. That's who he meets to give mercy. Let me prove it to you. Philippians 2 5. This will not be on the screen. I added this after. Jesus did not think less of himself. Jesus something else in priority of his own desires. Philippians 2.5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What is the highest name? Jesus. Who is the highest being? Jesus. Who is the name that every knee shall bow to, every tongue will confess? It's Jesus. But what did Jesus do? He left that place of glory to become low. To put on your shame. To put on the shame of the most broken sinner that you know. So that that sinner might find mercy at the cross. He did not think of equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't so self-focused that he wanted to make sure everyone knew he was equal with God and he was there in heaven from the beginning. No, he was humble enough to lower himself, to take on the limitations of human flesh, take on the limitations of experiencing physical pain, and take on the Father turning his face away as the wrath of sin, or the wrath of God for sin, was poured out on Jesus the Son. That promise of mercy is because Jesus did not think of himself first, but actually, because of us, endured the pain, despising the cross, so that we might be welcomed into his kingdom. So as the band comes up to lead us in one more song, I'm going to give you three points to finish. Humble yourself. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up. Don't wait for Him to humble you, but seek Him in all of His grandeur, in all of His glory, in all of the marvelous light of who He is, and humble yourself. Repent, and I don't just mean repent of your sins. Repent of your pride. And the worst thing you can do right now is act like you're the only non-prideful person in the room. So we'll we'll cross out pride and say repent of your self-focus. Is that that better? Repent of your self-addiction. Repent of your desire to think of you and what you need above everyone else and above who Christ is. And lift. Find someone in the depths of shame, in the depths of pain, in the depths of their own heartache, and lift them up. Because The ministry that we have been given is to be ambassadors of mercy. And how do you find mercy? By confessing your sin, by repenting. And now we're ambassadors of that message of mercy to the lost, to the hurting, to those that are filled with shame. I told you last week, you didn't come to church for you, you came to church for us. So we could worship the risen King together we could say an encouraging word to another to lift each other up. So as we stand together and sing, let's focus on how God might be calling you to one person this week. To lift them up with the message of the gospel. To lift them up with the message of encouragement. To lift them up out of their shame. and Focus not on their own plight, on their own pain, but on Jesus who is risen.
1: song we could ever sing i
0: Come on up, join me on stage. And our elders are going to gather around those going to Romania to pray for them. so y'all go ahead and make your way all the way up here. Um, Few are um, traveling and uh, not here with us today. They will this group though will be leaving on Thursday to uh, go to Romania and be returning um, in July. And uh, we're just going to send them out in prayer, praying for them to go and minister, alongside our partners at two different churches there, Genesa Church and Rhinostria Church. That means Genesis Church and New Life Church in English. And uh, But beyond those two churches, there's actually five other churches that are participating in a youth camp that this group is helping to put on, and um, they'll be doing a number of other things in-country, including uh, most of them will go into Ukraine for a couple days to do a youth camp there and minister to, to students there. So I'm going to pray for them, and if you would, just um, continue in prayer uh, for, for this team, for Rich and Hope Hambrock, for Sarah Beth Dupree, John Michael Jenright Jacob Drobnik, Jason and Sally, um, and, um, uh, and then there's others that are going as well that just are not here with us this morning, um, but would you join me as we pray for this team? Father, thank you for um, each and every one of these team members. I pray your grace upon them. I pray your blessing over them. I pray that you would go with them, that you would um, give them safety in their journey, uh, safety um, every leg of the trip as they uh, fly through connections and as they get into Cluj and as they um, greet their hosts at the airport and um, living in host homes with families from the Romanian churches for a couple of days, uh, sleeping at this camp with a number of Romanian students. Father, I pray for the remaining preparations in country for more Romanian students to go. I know there's uh, over 40 that are signed up now, and we're hoping for even more than that. Um, God, we just pray that this would be a a full camp, um, and that you would receive the glory as they focus on living with a Christian worldview, how the gospel and how the Bible forms the way they look at the world. And um, uh, bless those uh, that teach Tom and Jason and Joanna as they um, have messages to bring um, Tom and Jason as they preach in the churches um, uh, on the Sunday that they're there and um, the others as they share in this camp through preaching messages, through leading worship, through leading small group times. Um, God, I pray that you'll knit this group together, that they would serve as one in your name and for your glory. And, uh, and God, we pray ultimately for gospel fruit, for new lives um, to be brought into your kingdom. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, just two quick reminders before we go. Um, we need people to stay and help us stack chairs. And if you're a VBS volunteer, go get t-shirts from behind me. Um, but as we close, let's stand and receive the blessing from the Lord. From number 6, 24 through 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.